0: Commission for September 21st, 2023. The time is 430. I'm Margo Schaub, and I serve as a Library Commission Affairs Analyst. This meeting is being held in person in the main Library Cret Auditorium and virtually on Zoom. Members of the public can observe the meeting using the Zoom system by following the link in the Library's event calendar or by calling one six six nine four 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 nine one seven one 9171 and entering the meeting number. Public comment will be taken both in-person and remotely by video or call-in for each item on the agenda. We will conduct public comment with attendees in the correct first, and then move to Zoom for public comment. Each comment is limited to three minutes unless otherwise noted. To make public comment when connected by phone, please raise your hand by dialing star nine to be added to the remote queue for the agenda item you intend to comment on. Individuals joining by Zoom should click the raise hand button to be added to the queue. Mike Smith with media services operations will moderate Zoom virtual public comment. Mr. Smith will call upon Zoom attendees by name or by caller number for each attendee who wishes to provide public comment. If we experience any technical issues with Zoom, we will recess and try to address the issue. Please try logging back into Zoom if there are technical problems. Library commissioners commissioners in attendance are President Connie Wolf, Commissioners Ono, Mall, Lomax, Giradutzi, Lopez, um, Bolander. Lopez is coming soon.
1: Um, Thank you very much, and hello and welcome to the September 21st, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Public Library Commission. To those of us here in Coretta Auditorium, we're delighted to have you here, and we are very pleased to welcome our virtual audience via the Zoom platform. We have a wonderful meeting ahead, and we will start with the Ramatushaloni land acknowledgement. The area now known as San Francisco is the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the original peoples of this land, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place. We recognize that we benefit from living, working, and learning on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. If you have not already done so, all the me- all the materials for this meeting are available to download on the San Francisco Public Library's um, website, sfpl.org, or they are available here in Corette at the back of the room. Um, today, we have a total of five agenda items, and we will begin with item number one, which is general public comment. Operations, um, how many people have joined us via Zoom today?
2: Madam President, this time we have seven uh, callers, callers in the Zoom.
1: Thank you very much. We will begin here in Correct Auditorium with general public comment, and then move to our virtual listeners and participants via um, Zoom. So public comment in Correct Auditorium is now open.
3: Good afternoon. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117 0544. I'm glad to see one of the members of the commission wearing a mask as I am. And uh, I see only five members present. Uh, I thought that in the past you took roles so that people would know who's here and who's not. Um, With respect to uh, a number of matters at the library, uh, some of these things I've mentioned before, uh, two main things. First of all, you continue to tout all sorts of social media. Well, and in particular, all over your publicity, including at the library, which I'm holding up. This is what you pick up when you go to any location. Uh, the logos of various social media are down here at the bottom. And then two times inside, we have Get Social, uh, top right on page two. And it once again shows you where to get social on social media. And then again, uh, we have Get Social on the Friends page, page seven. Get Social, lower left of page seven. There's no explanation given for why you're advertising those. Why don't you advertise Library Users Association? Why don't you advertise your books? Uh, And the reason I'm concerned about this is not only that this is like you're recruiting for the social media, but that there are a lot of problems. And the Surgeon General of the United States has issued a number of reports describing specifically the dangers to kids and especially teenagers and to everybody else as well from social media. In addition, the internet generally has a lot of problems, including scams, including people giving up their personal information, including people buying stuff. If I were to go around trying to sell stuff at the library, I think you would stop me. It's against the rules. But when people sit down at the computer, they're being solicited. They're able to not only look at stuff, but even spend money. And that's not the usual thing that you have at the library, and that could be problematic for quite a few people, including minors. Second thing is that a couple meetings back, the Vice President, acting as chair, specifically gave instructions at the beginning of the meeting saying that this is not the place for questions. I brought this up before. Nobody said anything. I'd like to know whether that's the policy of the Library commission. And if it's not, I certainly hope that you it make it clear that that's not the policy, people can ask all the questions they want. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Any uh, additional comments?
4: Hello. Hello, Commission. I'm Michael Vincent Danella Mercanti with the Friends of the San Francisco Public Library. It's wonderful to see you all today. Um, Friends is doing great right now. We are having, uh, excited for another season of fundraising before the end of year, one of our most productive times. And it's great to see how excited our community is for the library. I'm excited too. I will say the Show Us Your Spines uh, program is happening upstairs tonight. I'm going to head a head up right after this. Very excited. And um, I want to share something about the Pacifics. So this is a new group we've started at Friends. A bunch of young library lovers um, have been very excited to get involved with the library. We've talked about this before, but um, they're about to celebrate their one-year anniversary. So we're just really excited that we have this group of young San Franciscans so engaged with the library. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you very much. Any other further public comment here in Corrett Auditorium? Um, seeing there's no further public comment here, we will turn to our participants via Zoom. Operations, are. if there's anyone who's raised their hand, could you please put them through? Thank you.
2: Madam President, at this time, there are no uh, callers with their hands raised. I will pause briefly to allow them to raise their hands if they so wish. Madam President, there are no callers who have raised their hands
1: at this time. Thank you very much, operations. Hearing that there's no further comment, um, anyone to comment on Zoom, um, public comment is now closed. Just wanna thank our participants for their comments today, thank you. So we will now turn to item number two, which is discussion and possible action to approve the August commission meeting minutes. We will open up public comment first before our commission discussion on this item. Um, Once again, we'll begin with public comment here in Correct Auditorium and move to our participants via Zoom. Public comment is now open here in Correct Auditorium.
3: Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com, and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. The minutes, unfortunately, are pretty poor as a reflection of what certainly what uh, we have said Uh, seems to be a distraction one of the members have left. Uh, Now we have four members present. Um, When I talk about the library's unnecessary touting of social media, including Facebook in particular, where there was congressional testimony by Francis Haugen almost two years ago about Facebook prioritizing profit over safety, My purpose there is to question why the library does that without explanation, why that particular free advertisement. And in particular, that I think at a minimum, the library ought to give people an alert, not just how to sign up and where to sign up and what to go to, but be very clear about what some of the problems and dangers are to folks using social media, including Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and so on. That's, I think, the minimum that the library should do, because you can't from a book be manipulated as to your mood or your uh, wishes. You can't get drawn into disputes with people. You can't pay money in the library for pretty much anything except used to be fines and now fees. It's quite different from what a library used to be before offering the internet as a service or as a feature and i think that needs to be clear for the public at a, at a minimum so that's not clear from what i said here on general public comment i said in the past the library has advertised itself as a place that's safe and unfortunately what it offers online is not so safe ai in particular The leaders themselves have talked about the threat of human extinction from AI. That's a pretty serious problem, and the library ought to be notifying its people about what's going on with respect to that. Uh, Most of the other uh, comments that I've got are sadly uh, misrepresented. I talked about circulation under item three as being very strong for books and huge increases in circulation for books compared to ebooks even though for 4 years ebooks have been more funded than print
1: thank you very much for your comments any other further comments relating to this um item number 2 which is the august commission meeting minutes here in corrett anyone seeing there's no further public comment here in corrett i will turn to operations operations if there's anyone online via Zoom who would like to participate in this discussion item, please put them through.
2: Madam President, at this time there are no callers with their hands raised. I will pause briefly to allow them to do so. Madam President, there are no callers with their hands raised at this time.
1: Thank you very much, Operations. Seeing that there's no further public comment, public comment on item number two is now closed. We will now turn to discussion and um, um, action on item number two. Would someone like to make a motion to approve the minutes of the August um, Commission meeting?
5: I'd like to mo- make a motion to approve the um, minutes of uh, the August 17th meeting.
1: I and- second. We have a motion by Commissioner Lomax-Girarducci and a second by Commissioner Mall. I'll take the roll call. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name.
0: President Wolf. Aye. Commissioner Ono. Aye. Commissioner Mall, Aye. Commissioner lomax Giriducci.
1: Aye. Commissioner Bolander. Aye. The motion passes unanimously. We now move to item number three, which is um, uh, discussion on um, human resources talent acquisition. I turn the meeting first over to City Librarian Michael Lambert. Thank you.
6: Thank you, President Wolf, and good evening, library commissioners. Library staff appreciates this opportunity to present an update on our library human resources division and their talent acquisition activities. You may recall that we brought you a report in the spring of 2022, and we've made significant progress since that time in filling open positions and restoring hours of operation and library programs and services. So, our HR team has been working extremely hard the past couple of years as we've recovered from what was effectively a, a year long hiring freeze during the pandemic. So, this evening, Lori Regler, our Library Human Resources Director, is here to offer this presentation.
7: Thanks, Michael. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Lori Regler, Director of Human Resources for the Library. I appreciate this opportunity to pro- provide an overview of the talent acquisition activities that Library Human Resources performed over the last fiscal year. Here is the agenda for my presentation today. I will provide an overview of the library's workforce, and then more specifically the HR division. I'll review our talent acquisition hiring activities over the past fiscal year, and I will highlight some of our outreach, recruitment, and continuous improvement work. So we currently have approximately 884 active employees at the library, including part-time and full-time employees. We have 502 full-time employees comprising 57% of our workforce and 382 part-time employees who represent 43% of our workforce. Just to clarify, these are active employees. So this is not inclusive of any vacancies that we might have. This slide reflects the library's different divisions and where our employees work within our organization. 695 or 79% of our workforce are within the library's public services division. The largest public services division is the branch division followed by the main collections and technical services and then community programs and partnerships. 189 employees or 21% of our workforce are within support divisions with the largest support division being facilities, which includes security, custodial, and engineering, followed by IT and administration, which includes HR, finance, the city librarian's office, and research, strategy, and analytics. The numbers of active employees within these divisions are are represented here on this slide. All job classifications at the library are covered by a collective bargaining agreement between the city and the individual unions, there are 10 labor unions that cover SFPL employees, each with their own collective bargaining agreement. The vast majority, you yeah. okay. Yes, yeah, it sure is. Uh, We have 10 labor unions uh, that cover our employees, and they all have their own collective bargaining agreement. Um, The vast majority of our workforce is covered by the SCIU Local 1021 agreement. We also have IT, HR, finance, and administrative uh, staff represented by Local 21. MEA covers our management team employees. The stationary engineers who keep our buildings running are represented by Local 39. IATSE represents media production staff, including those who are um, making this meeting possible today. Uh, Local 261 covers our laborers who keep our uh, buildings and grounds in good order. Um, The Consolidated Crafts MOU covers our drivers, represented by Teamsters, Local 853. And they make sure our materials get distributed throughout our system. And also our carpenters, represented by Local 22. IBEW Local 6 represents our electricians and the TWU Local 250 agreement covers our um, our curators. So if you thought 10 unions was a lot, we have 75 different job classifications represented at the library. Um, Each city employee has their own civil service job class they've been appointed into, which has defined functions and responsibilities related to knowledge, skills, and abilities. So a series of job classifications refers to directly related job classes that ha- that vary in their level of scope and responsibility. So as this slide reflects, the majority of em- our employees, or seventy seven percent of them, are within the thirty six hundred job classification series, which is the library professional and paraprofessional series of classifications. We currently have 424 employees in paraprofessional job classifications and 255 employees in professional job classifications. So paraprofessionals constitute 48% and professional 29% of our active 3,600 employees at the library. And the remaining 23% of our workforce are in a variety of other classifications in various divisions at the library. This slide demonstrates which job classifications fall under paraprofessional and which fall under professional in the 3600 series. So they're listed here on this slide for you. The main differences between professional and paraprofessional job classifications are that paraprofessional employees shelve books and materials, process library card applications, perform materials maintenance, and answer routine questions. Paraprofessionals are required to have a high school diploma, College work in library studies and associate's degree and library work experience may also be required. Professional employees perform reference work and cataloging, they classify and maintain library materials and oversee library programs or a unit at the library. Professionals are required to have an advanced degree, including a master's of library information studies and library work experience for higher uh, professional job classifications. There's a lot more to what these employees do Um, The information I just provided is from the uh, city's job specifications. There's a job specification for each job classification. Okay, shifting here. Uh, This slide provides an overview of the various activities that Library Human Resources performs. Before I uh, review that, I just wanna talk about the city's Department of Human Resources or DHR, which is the city's central HR entity. They issue policies, rules, processes, guidance that we all must follow in the city. All city departments are required to follow DHR's guidance. Library HR partners with DHR in a variety of ways on talent acquisition activities. Uh, When the library wants to fill positions, we need to submit a request to fill the DHR. DHR approves positions to be filled. And if they don't approve the position, we're not able to fill it. Another critical activity that DHR performs for us is that they administer examinations for our 3600 series. I just talked about how 3600 job classifications, 77% of our workforce. So they administer our exams for those positions. The exam scores are then used to establish eligible lists for us at the library to use to fill our positions. So every nine months, DHR establishes an eligible list for the 3602 library page class, every six months for the 3630 librarian one, and once per year for other 3600 positions. DHR also issues what we call referrals, which is uh effectively they refer candidates on eligible lists to departments for further talent acquisition activities like interviews and whatnot. So when we want to use an eligible list, we need DHR to take formal action to give us a referral to do that. Once we receive the referral, library HR will help administer the notice of inquiry process, which is we send a communication to folks on the eligible list, inquiring as to whether they're interested in our job. Um, And then we coordinate with hiring managers to look at job applications, schedule interviews, administer the interview process. And following that, we take the steps needed to finalize the hiring and selection process. Um, Lastly, and importantly, DHR also manages the city's job announcement and job application system. And in the past couple of years, acquired a new system to perform those functions. So needless to say, we rely heavily on DHR for our talent acquisition needs. Um, In terms of uh, talent acquisition, Library HR collaborates closely with our hiring managers here at the library throughout the hiring process from position approval to onboarding. We help administer interview and selection processes. We also conduct our own position based tests for library positions other than the 3600 series. That essentially means that we conduct our own exams and develop eligible lists rather than relying on DHR to do so. And we would do that if the positions duties are specific to our department. We also handle exempt recruitments, meaning positions that are exempt from the civil service requirements. As you can see from this slide, library HR also provides other services to our department, including learning and development activities, coordinating training, coordinating employee recognition and engagement events and activities, and supporting the annual performance management cycle. We perform employee and labor relations activities, handle EEO matters, leaves, reasonable accommodation requests, workers' compensation matters. Very importantly, we administer the department's payroll. We also provide front desk services and participate in the library's wellness committee to coordinate health and wellness activities. We also have a diversity equity and inclusion function to help implement our department's racial equity action plan. And to identify other ways we can foster an equitable, diverse and inclusive workforce. There are 16 positions in HR, including mine, and we currently have three vacancies. Great. Um, As I mentioned, one critical function of library HR is talent acquisition or filling vacant positions. Libraries would not be able to function without our talented staff, and we need to make sure our positions are filled so we can provide optimal public service. So it's important to understand our vacancy rate. The vacancy reflects the number of vacant positions as a percent of total positions. So on this slide, you can see our average vacancy rate in the last three years. It was 13.3% in fiscal year 21, 14.2% in fiscal year 22, and 13.5% in fiscal year 23. So our vacancy rate went down slightly from fiscal year 22. So far in fiscal year 24, we have a total of 114 vacancies, and we have filled 29 positions so far. So our current vacancy rate is 11.4%, which is closer to our historical vacancy rate. Um, Just a note um, on on how we calculate this, the vacancy rate data is pulled based on the fiscal year to align with DHR's recommendations when analyzing hiring data. Last year, we measured the data based on the calendar year, but this year and going forward, we'll be doing that um, using the fiscal year. So while vacancy vacancy rate information is important to look at, it does not reflect or tell the whole story about the amount of work that occurs in the hr division with respect to talent acquisition activities so this slide reflects the talent acquisition activities that took place in fiscal year 23 uh, before i go into the details of the slide i just want to give it some context and talk uh, hopefully briefly about how we fill positions at the library generally uh, generally there are three main uh, methods to filling vacant positions the first is reassignment which is when an employee in the same job class as the vacant position completes the in um, the process to move laterally into the position. So this is an internal process. The second uh, method is using an eligible list and we end up promoting a current staff member off of that list into a position with a higher salary range than their current position. So this is a promotion. The third is using an eligible list to hire someone who is not currently working in our department off of the eligible list. So this would be a new hire. So Utilizing reassignments and promoting from within our organization provide opportunities for growth for staff to work in different locations and to advance their career when they promote. Although at the same time, when we fill positions in these ways, uh, doing so creates another vacancy that we then need to fill. So we don't see a decrease in our overall vacancy rate when we fill positions using these methods. So, this highlights, among other things, the need to work to ensure that we have reliable pipelines of qualified candidates so new employees can enter our workforce, since we can't rely on reassignment and promotions alone to fill all of our positions. So, um, as this slide uh, demonstrates, in fiscal year 23, we filled a total of 206 positions using the different methods of hiring that I described earlier, including eligible list and reassignment. We had 96 new hires. And a lot of internal movement, 60 promotions and 49 reassignments. We also saw 59 separations, meaning employees leaving our organization due to retirement or other reasons. Separations also require processing work by the HR team. So we started the year with 828 employees and ended the year with 865 employees. So the net gain there was 37 our vacancy rate at the beginning of that fiscal year was 16.2%, and by the end, it was 11.3%. So while our vacancy, our average vacancy rate last year was a little lower than the prior year, and we had a resulting net gain of 37 employees, those numbers might not, might not seem like a lot, but they reflect a great deal of work by the HR team. So um, when we talk about filling positions, it's important to know how long it takes to fill our positions so we can make sure we're being as efficient as possible with our recruitment efforts and processes. So we measure our average time to hire from the date the position received internal library approval to fill to the date the final offer was accepted if we used the eligible list. If we are filling through reassignment, that end date would be the, the start work date for the employee who's reassigned. That's how we measure. Uh, time to hire. This graph shows our average time to hire for all positions over the past three fiscal years. So as the graph indicates, it took an average of 201 days to fill positions in fiscal year 21, 170 days in fiscal year 22, and 215 days in fiscal year 23. The graph on the right compares the average time to hire using the different methods of hiring that I talked about earlier, reassignment, and using the eligible list. We also included exempt appointments, since that's the third most common way of filling a position. You can see from this graph that when we fill positions through reassignment, which I explained earlier is an internal process, we're able to move more quickly in filling the position. And when we fill using eligible list, it takes longer. All in all, uh, filling positions using an eligible list takes approximately six to nine months longer than reassignments. That's a significant difference in time. Um, When comparing our time to hire data year over year, the average time to hire last fiscal year went up a little bit from the prior year. In looking at the data, we believe there are a few reasons for that. Uh, First, there was an increase in the total number of positions we filled last fiscal year. The sheer volume of that work and a vacancy on the HR team uh, contributed to our average time to hire being higher. The uptick in time to hire may be due to finally filling several longstanding vacancies that they were bilingual vacancies and had been vacant for years even before the pandemic. And because of the hiring freeze, a lot of um, hiring timelines throughout the city, including in our department, were pushed back for many positions. And we faced additional wait time receiving eligible lists from the Department of Human Resources. And finally, and I found this to be the most interesting, we filled more positions using eligible lists last year than in previous years. For example, in fiscal year 22, we used an eligible list to fill Positions 58% of the time, where in fiscal year 23, we used an eligible list 75% of the time. So as I mentioned earlier, it takes longer to fill positions using the eligible list. So this could be a contributing factor to why our time to hire took a little longer. And as always, we'll continue to monitor our time to hire throughout the year to identify areas where we can streamline and speed things up. This slide just drills down a little bit more from the previous slide. This is our average time to hire for our 3,600 series, or 77% of our workforce. It shows the comparison between the average time to hire 3,600 series positions through reassignment versus an eligible list, as shown here. And as I've mentioned several times already, and might mention a few more times, (laughs) we're able to move more quickly when we fill through reassignment than the eligible list. And this graph demonstrates that. Similarly, not to be a broken record, here's the average time to hire for 3602 library pages and 3630 librarian ones. These two job classes are our two most frequent recruitments and the time to hire for these positions, most impacts our overall average time to hire. And maybe for the last time, I'll say we move more quickly when we fill positions to reassignment. Okay. Um, one key component of talent acquisition is recruitment as part of our outreach and diversity recruitment efforts. We're focusing on various outlets to attract more applicants and also more diverse applicants to our job. Um, we do, we, we do recruitment in a variety of ways. We share job announcements internally to all SFPL staff. We use SFPL's social social media platforms. We, uh, utilize library associations, colleges and universities, and we continue to participate in citywide career fairs hosted by the Department of Human Resources. And as seen on this slide, uh, members of the library HR team were out in force helping spread the word about library jobs at a recent career fair, right across the street from the main library. We also post job announcements on smart recruiters, which is the city's job announcement system that I referenced earlier. We also partner with DHR's diversity recruitment team to leverage citywide resources. And finally, we'll continue to collaborate with the library's racial equity committee and other stakeholders. In the, and in the coming months, we'll look to expand recruitment outlets and partnerships aimed at helping us see more diverse candidate pools. In library HR, we're always looking for ways to improve. So as part of our efforts, we've established an annual process improvement forum where our entire team comes together to brainstorm ideas, identify areas for efficiencies, and make improvements to our processes and services. We recently streamlined our onboarding new hire process to simplify and optimize our procedures. And the steps new employees must go through to, when joining the library, we were able to eliminate some unnecessary steps, automate certain tasks, and ensure that necessary information, resources, and training are provided to new hires in a clear and concise manner. And we'll continue to work on our on- onboarding process. We simplified some internal hr forms to make them more efficient reduce confusion and save time we hired an hr data analyst to help us with compiling and analyzing a variety of personnel data and metrics so we can utilize this information to understand trends and make improvements you may have heard some of this uh, at uh, naomi's racial equity action plan update earlier this year but we created performance plan and appraisal resources to help supervisors and managers with employee development and to empower their employees, increase engagement, and support employee development. These resources and tools include a new um, internal website with instructions on how to prepare the annual performance plan and appraisal, and uh, give guidance and advice on providing feedback and coaching to employees. Resources also include listing training opportunities for supervisors and employees, and toolkits and tip sheets for supervisors and employees. This is all designed to help with employee development. The supervisor toolkit includes three tip sheets that aid supervisors and managers on how to have effective one-on-one meetings with their staff, mitigate bias, and have conversations about employee development. The employee toolkit includes three tip sheets also that aid employees on how to track their own accomplishments, how to assess their development needs and how to engage in development conversations with their supervisor. And HR will continue to look for ways to provide new uh, resources and tools for supervisors and managers to encourage robust participation in employee development conversations. In closing, I wanna thank the commission for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you to Michael and Maureen for their support and also the entire management team. I can't thank the HR team enough. They're a high-performing team who worked tirelessly to provide support for the library and I appreciate them so much. That concludes my presentation. I'll be available for questions.
6: Thank you, Lori. It's worth noting that we spend on an annual basis the largest percentage of our budget for staffing and it is true our human resources are our most valuable asset. And Lori is a wonderful steward of our resources and just a, a rock on our management team. So thank you.
1: Um, thank you very much, um, Lori. That was just fantastic. And just the analytics have so much material for us to digest and is quite insightful and Um, We're really looking forward to a more robust conversation, but we're going to begin with um, public comment. So we'll begin with public comment here in Coret Auditorium and then move to participants listening via the Zoom um, platform. So public comment is now open here in Coret Auditorium.
3: Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. Uh, it appears that the city librarian has a new pair of glasses squared off and looking right here. So good. Uh, a number of uh, comments. First, First of all, Uh, Thank you for the report. Uh, It looks very extensive and very thorough. But there are also some uh, evident, and I would wonder why, omissions. So the first thing to be said is all of the figures that were being presented here look like they are at least partially, if not fully, under COVID pandemic conditions. So there's no comparison to what might be considered normal times in terms of the size of the employees, the proportion of employees, anything at all that we're talking about here. There's not a comparison with what's non-COVID times. Nonetheless, there seems to be a fairly high vacancy rate, according to what we're showing here, within Uh, within it looks like there are vacancies numbering about 15 percent of the existing number of employees 884 uh but that still is not what we had prior and as i recall we had close to or about a thousand employees previously and uh That makes a big difference, I think, particularly when problematically I see empty desks during open hours at the library. And we've also anecdotally heard about a lot of lost employees during COVID. And I understand there might be reasons, but we haven't talked about the reasons uh, nor about the long time for uh, hiring and so on and so forth. So um, where are the pre-COVID stats Why uh, do we have such a high vacancy rate and how much less do we have now than pre-COVID? Why do we have empty desks during regular open hours? So we're uttering along at times without really even full service, let alone the full hours have not been restored. All the evening hours that were open till nine have been cut to eight Uh, I'd be very interested, and I hope you ask, what the difference is between reassignment and eligibility list employment, what the definitions are, what the differences are, what the reasons are. And finally, I don't see a performance against certain uh, equity goals on the last page. I see that there's efforts being done to study, but don't see statistics about equity. Thank you.
1: Um, Thank you for your public comment. Any further public comment here in Coret Auditorium? Seeing that there's no further public comment here, we will turn to our participants via the Zoom platform. Operations, if there anyone who wishes to make a comment, could you please put them through?
2: Madam President, I have one commenter in the queue. I will put them through now. Caller Denise. Your three minutes begin now.
8: Hello? Can you hear me?
2: We can hear you.
8: Uh, Thank you. Um, No, I just wanted to ask the um, uh, human resource person of uh, about efforts to uh, reach out to the older workforce and uh, people with disabilities. That was
9: my question. Thank you.
2: Thank you, caller. Madam President, there are no additional commenters in the queue at this time.
1: Thank you very much, Operations. Seeing that there's no additional comments um, either here in Coret or in... Um, the, on the Zoom platform, we will public comment is now closed, and we will now open this up to um, discussion and questions with the commissioners. So, Lori, you might want to come up. Um, just want to thank you again. I think the presentation was really beautifully, not only you presented it well, but it was visually really compelling and very accessible. So, just want to acknowledge your team and the whole library's team's efforts for making it such a comprehensible report, and so. Data driven. So um, I now open it up to comments from, and I'll turn to Commissioner Bolander.
10: Uh, Thank you so much. Um, Yes, excellent presentation. And as you know, I love data. So anything with graphs is pretty pictures because I'm not kind of dense that way. I need pictures, just like most management. Um, I have a question about the exits. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You mentioned there was some retirement or just people leaving. Were there any involuntary exits?
7: Um, I, I would have to check the records to see. There's surprisingly a large number of different types of exits that occur, that can occur okay. in this in the system. And involuntary exits definitely are one of them. Okay. So I think we may have, but I don't think the numbers are very high. Um, particularly with respect to the size of our workforce. They're very, very low.
10: Yeah, I remember a report that I mean it, it must have been for like five or six years it was maybe not even a handful. Um because I we're think pretty getting,
7: much still there. Okay. All <laughs> right. it, yeah.
10: Just just because I think that's important to mm-hmm. see from a you know quality work environment and just how well we hire. Um the other thing is is there does anything exist like a pipeline of the process or like a funnel of how people go through it? I mean the, these these um, numbers are excellent and looks like the major bottleneck is D- DHR, not having a good enough list of things to give us. Um, but I'm just curious if there's any, either a process diagram that shows time at each step and then sort of how many people get a tritted out just for bottlenecking and planning. Because it seems again, like You can only do so much if you can't get the input, like, okay, we have to wait a year for some of these 3,600.
7: We definitely can look at the data to determine where the bottlenecks are. But one of the things you mentioned, which I find very interesting, which I'm not sure we're able to do at this point, but I hope we can, is understand throughout the process where are we losing people? Yeah, exactly. Is it at the, you know, is it when they apply through the city's job application system and then they're waiting to, to take the exam and get on an eligible list? Yeah. And then in the meantime, they find another job. Yeah. Um, is that where we lose people? Um, or, or where exactly? Just so that we can try to tighten that up. Some of that's within our control, but some of it is not. And, uh, you know, at the library. So I suspect that it could be what I just mentioned. They're waiting for the exam. They're waiting for the eligible list. They're waiting for departments to contact them for further steps. So I would like to be able to have that information. And yeah. a DHR, I imagine, has it. Okay. We'd have to, you know. I guess, who, who, yeah,
10: I guess we should figure out who they talk to over there. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be more than happy to like, like walk there with you um, <laughs> since this is really interesting to me. Okay. Um, be- yeah, because I think one thing that's really interesting, you know, about pre-COVID, post-COVID, we had seen numbers before where, obviously, a lot of folks were deployed as emergency workers during COVID, and then some of them left, and then there's this huge bottleneck, bottleneck in hiring, bottleneck in opening. I mean, it, it's a disaster. Like, I'm just commend everyone for actually managing through horrific situation because, you know, even in the private sector, this was hard. And in the public sector is even worse because there's rules and more rules and more unions. And not to say that's all bad, but like (laughs) there's process for a reason, right? So yeah, I mean, really would love to see the pipeline of talent, where are people falling off in conjunction with DHR and just really understand where we're losing people because it's a competitive market. Generally, it's very expensive to live here there are requirements that may or may not be modern requirements. I'm just going to say that, <laughs> especially for some positions. And I think a holistic view of how we're going to really strengthen the, the talent pipeline, not only from a, uh, from getting people in, but also promoting people from within. Clearly, that's the best way to go. <laughs> so Let's just Absolutely. get more people in that we can promote. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's really my only question. And again, like, yeah, I, I just, I'm always over the moon when people use the template that's so beautiful. So I'm just, I'm a little soft, I have a little soft heart for my for Margot and everyone. So thank you so much. This is fantastic. Great, great work to the whole HR team and
11: management team, really.
7: Thank you.
1: Um, thank you, um, Commissioner Bolander. Um, so I'm going to turn to Commissioner Ono.
11: Thank you, Lori, for the great presentation. Um, Commissioner Bolander, I like your question about the pipeline and people falling off and bottlenecks i do do have a couple of friends that work for the city dhr and they will attest to all of the things you said um and lori i'm glad you explained how you know the city's dhr sometimes is holding san francisco pl from hiring so that gave a like i think a lot better insight into what you guys have to go through, you're a small team, but you still manage to get the job done. So I commend your team. Um, one of the things um, I like is that the reassignments. When you when you go to some of the staff meetings, um, all staff meetings, and you see the the how long people have been staying at SFPL, it attests to the reassignment. People have see an opportunity to do move on to something else and they continues their time at SFPL. Some people have had 40 years here, mm-hmm. you know, so it's an testament to the entire process. And I like how you presented the, the, even the title of the presentation, talent, talent acquisition, that says it all. I mean, you guys respect staff. You, um, you, you, you recognize your talent. And having this presentation called Talent Acquisition just made it even more better for me. Um, the other thing too, is that um, I do like numbers and everything else, but there are a lot of other data behind it. And I appreciate that you brought a lot of that forward for us. A lot of times we just see the numbers, total vacancies, you know, how much you staffed up. But your explanation just gave it a lot more depth. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, Thank you so much, Commissioner. um, Oh no, Commissioner Mall. Um,
12: I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you manage all that you're managing with a short staff. There seems like there are so many balls in the air and so many challenges. Um, When you have a reassignment. Does that have to go through the city or can it be done just internally?
7: Um, Sometimes we need to get the position approved from DHR, but it's primarily an internal process where we post uh, or we send out an email advertising the reassignment and folks who are interested can submit their interest. And then it's mostly an internal process from there where the hiring manager or someone in the division will conduct what we call a chat with the folks who are interested and move on from there. And it's a, there's a section in the labor contract with SCIU 1021 that talks about the reassignment process and just provides some more detail about the rules around it. So that's why it's quicker for us, because we don't have to wait for an eligible list, wait for a referral. Oh, I got it. All yeah. that, yeah. So that's why it's it's more it's quicker and um, like Commissioner Ono highlighted, it is a wonderful opportunity for our staff to work in different locations, and I think that's one of the many reasons why our staff stay here for so long because they can have di- uh, diverse experiences working in different locations throughout the city. So the um, reassignments are typically a lateral move. Typically. Someone can reassign from, say, a part-time into a full-time position. So it's lateral in terms of they're in the same job class, but Mm -hmm. they may have more hours by virtue of being a full-time employee. But we don't consider a promotion because their underlying base uh, wage does not increase. When it does increase, that's what we'd characterize as a promotion.
12: And are the promotions done on an internal
7: basis the same way with the chat? No, no, they are not. The um, promotions, we must use an eligible list to promote. So we use an eligible list to promote our internal staff who are on the list. We also use an eligible list to bring in new people to our organization who maybe are not already working for us. And that's when we have to have the job posted, an exam conducted by DHR, an eligible list developed and issued, a referral issued to us so we can use the eligible list. Then we have to canvas or send an inquiry out to the employees or the eligibles on the list see if they're interested okay i'm getting a headache then we have to do an an interview process it's very time time consuming okay but my question (laughs) okay my question is isn't that a new hire not a promotion um i mean it it could be either i think Well, we uh in HR land, we think of a new hire as someone new to our organization, and an internal promotion is someone who's maybe new to their job class that they're now in, but right. they're not new to our organization. Right. But the time it takes to hire either a promotion or a new hire is probably a, the same really? because we're using an eligible list in both uh, scenarios. Okay, so um,
12: SFPL can't be the only organization in the city that operate so inefficiently with their hiring practices. I
7: think we I think a lot of departments in the city have the same challenges and DHR has you know they're supporting all departments in the city. And so they have a heavy workload also. And so um and they have been making efforts of For a while now, but more recently in the past couple of years to try to expedite hiring. They're trying to come up with solutions about having continuous lists for certain job classifications, Uh, a certification rule that allows departments to select anyone from the list. So they are trying to make things move more quickly. And I I know I appreciate that a lot. So could you. um,
12: Sorry, asking so many questions, but this seems so arcane. Yeah. (laughs) like, would this happen in Sacramento? Would this happen in Cleveland? Is this what happens in the city with municipal employees? I think civil
7: service systems are more challenging and they have more rules associated with them. So therefore they may take longer. Um, smaller cities or smaller organizations may have an easier time just because they're smaller mm-hmm. and it they can be more nimble. The city, it's, I mean, I'm not a, a sailor but it's like they're moving a huge tanker they're not just moving a sailboat right. so it's takes a lot to move the ship um in this in this city yeah <laughs> there you go and has this been has this all these processes been consistent throughout um many mayoral administrations i've worked for the city for over 15 years and a lot of the um processes remain relatively the same. I think little things have changed. I've seen maybe longer strides in the past couple of years, um, trying to bring more efficiencies um, to the process. So it's just one of those things that we just hope for the best and participate in any way we can to help move things forward.
12: I just just can't imagine it. Somebody said, I can't even remember who now, um, about, I think you did, about... (laughs) somebody starting to interview for a job and then nine months later, Oh yes, we've, we'd like to hire you. Well, in that nine months, I mean, anything can happen. Exactly. The world could have changed in their life.
1: The world did change. Yeah, exactly. Um, Thank you. Commissioner Mall. Um, um, Commissioner Lomax-Garaducci.
5: Yes, Laurie, I, I am earlier. The attrition of employees was mentioned. It was just, you said, just a handful. I would imagine there's multiple reasons why there's just a few people that are leaving, um, mainly because of um, the rich, um, both the workplace experience um, and the other um, benefits of being with others, as well as the benefits of the the city of San, the county of San Francisco. Um, Are there any attrition concerns that you have that considering how challenging it is the recruitment process that we just talked about um, and any mitigation of any attrition that you think is worthwhile uh, considering? I mean, people will retire, so they've given their service, um, but are there any other, any attrition risk considering how difficult it is to kind of get, to keep someone, to get someone on board and to keep that um, percentages of vacancy down?
7: I think retirement is our biggest risk. Um, I think there was a study done some time ago about the average age of our staff here, and I believe it's skewed a little higher in age than other departments. So for that reason, we might be a little more at risk from... Um, Having more retirements than we can keep up with, but at the same time, our employees tend to stay here longer, even if they are at retirement or beyond retirement age. So we don't, um, you know, we plan for it. We we uh, have our division chiefs let us know when um, they are seeing a risk for retirement, and we try to plan for um, a recruitment solution to that. To that, Um, luckily, we have a lot of staff who want to promote here, and that doesn't solve the entire problem but it does help
1: um thank you um and commissioner lopez
8: laurie thank you to you and your team um i i always say hr is kind of like the main wheel of any organization because you know you do that talent acquisition i have a question in the process and i understand that um cuz i'm not going to repeat what all the other commissioners have said um because i'm with them <laughs> i agree. but with dhr um i have a question you you said that um there's a test for the positions that have testing process okay do you even get to design those tests?
7: Um, we have a role. Yes, we have okay. a role in the test development. Now, it's been quite a long time since those tests were developed. Okay. And I'm sure they could be looked at for um, ways to modernize m- modernize those tests. Um, and it, so that is something that we we could revisit at some okay. point. As
8: a <laughs> <laughs> um, I know the test could be biased. And, um and because you were talking about you know sometimes it, you, you use that as as a hiring process as well so I was just just curious about you know I'm glad to hear that we we do that you your department not we but your department has so many input and everything but but I think that also um c- can you tell us at other aspects of what you're looking at at the hiring for someone who you know, doesn't do good on testing.
7: (laughs) So if someone passes uh, uh, the test and they get on the eligible list and they respond to us when we ask them if they're interested in our job, then we undergo a applicant or application review process where uh, HR staff collaborate with our hiring managers to determine who um, is interviewed. Sometimes, depending on the numbers here, everyone who is interested in our job might be interviewed, just uh, because of the numbers, if two hundred people are interested in our in our positions, we may need to screen down the applicant pool, and we would develop criteria for doing that. Um, maybe. It, it kind of would depend on the position. Um, it could be some type of work experience, some type of skill they've demonstrated, and then we have st- a standardized interview process where we have questions and a diverse panel who administers these interview processes. So, when the when the ball is in our court, so to speak, we do everything we can to infuse um, standardization and diversity within our 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 hiring process. We. I don't want to disclose too many of the questions we ask, but we really um, emphasize um, customer service and a commitment to diversity and inclusion in, in our process.
8: Thank you. I will talk to you later. if I yeah. just have curiosity. Of course. Questions. It's very interesting. All this stuff. Yeah.
9: Thank
1: you. Um, thank you very much. Uh, Commissioner Lopez, Commissioner mall. I just want to say I am, um, Really happy
12: that you're in this job, thank you. i think it, <laughs> I think you're a great representative for the library.
7: Thank you very much.
1: Um, Well, I just wanna join the chorus of my (laughs) fellow um, commissioners who asked all the really great questions and made the great comments. A couple of just additional things I'd like to add. Um, I actually think that we are in a new normal and comparing ourselves to pre-pandemic is no longer useful. This is a new, we're in a new world and it's never gonna be back, we're only moving forward. So I think that looking at these last few years and moving forward, this is our new normal we're going to have a pandemic in our lives forever and something. So I appreciate the focus on just looking now because it's just, it's a new era. Um, I also wanted to um, talk about the pipeline in a different way. Um, Commissioner Bolander was talking about the pipeline of moving people through. And I just want to really challenge um, all of you to think as creatively as you possibly can about how to nurture people to get into the pipeline and through internships, through, I think that probably our biggest obstacle in terms of diversity are the requirements of like a library, ser- a master's in library services. And how do we encourage a younger generation to really think about libraries as a profession? And I know the Yale program in the summer is something important, but I also think that there are just touch points at every stage in someone's life that we can, as a library, be a leader and really create a new paradigm for how we actually infuse enthusiasm and opportunities in the field. So I just want to challenge you to be as creative as possible. And it's not just you, but it's the
7: entire staff to do that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think that is one of our challenges and one of our racial equity action plan goals for the coming years to start having more conversations about that and turning those conversations into actions. Great. Um,
1: And then just finally, I just, I know we all have said this, but you are, you are a rock star just as Michael started. And, um, and every time we hear about a new program and things that staff are doing here, it would not happen without you and your team making sure the staff remain engaged, connected, and employed. So thank you so much on behalf of all of us. Thank you. Thank Um, you, everybody. So now we will turn to item number four. Um, which is the City Librarian's Report. So I turn it back to the City Librarian.
6: Thank you, President Wolf. We have a number of presentations this evening, and I'm pleased to introduce our first presenter. Michelle Jeffers is our Chief of Community Programs and Partnerships, and she's going to tell us all about a fun Junior Giants Festival this past weekend. I'm going to to move this down a little bit. Sorry.
13: Hi, everybody. Um, Again, I'm Michelle Jeffers, Chief of Community Programs and Partnerships, and I'm going to tell you about the Junior Giants Festival for 2023, which remarkably, you're hearing about it today, and it just happened Saturday. So, that was a fast turnaround. Um, So, the Junior Giants is an annual event that the Giants Community Foundation puts on to recognize the recognize school children that play on a non-competitive Giants League over the summer, but they also have some academic goals and they have to read um, more than actually our summer stride hours. So they read all summer. And if they complete all their academic goals and their team playing, then they get invited to Oracle Park to run the bases, do some fun activities and get a free book. And this, we've been out there um, every year since 2005 I mean, 2015, sorry, 2015, so almost 10 years now, we have moved from, we used to be over by the stretch statue, by the Willie McCovey Gate, and we've moved all the way upstairs, so we keep moving up in the world with the Junior Giants, Um, and this year we were also um, kind of the main giveaway thing they've had. They've had other corporate partners in the past, but really the library is really a solid partner, and so we were the main giveaway for the event. Um, This Saturday, we gave away more than 5,000 books to Junior Giants players. The players come from throughout Northern California. So we had kids from Merced, we had kids from Galt, we had kids from um, Rockland this year. So it was really, really lovely to see kids from throughout California. They get a visit to San Francisco and we get to meet lots of really nice families. We also started the morning with the San Francisco team. So there are six teams that play in the San Francisco league. So they got the first, they got to come out at 9 AM and be the first teams on the field. So that was really nice. we also, while we were there, coincidentally, or the fates, the stars aligned, we had a new Giants library card to give out. So we, um, it, it had just arrived from our library card printers. So we ended up signing up 193 kids and families for new library cards that day. We, we, uh, at the way the Junior Giants Festival works is we work from like seven 7.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., like loading in the books getting them out on the tables, helping little kids pick out their books um, and sending their families and their siblings on their way. Um, And it was just, it felt so good to have enough books. So thank you to the CTS department, really, so that we could be really generous with siblings and family members and teammates that couldn't make it all the way to San Francisco for the day. So that was really fun. Um, But coincidentally with the new library card coming in just days before the Junior Giants Festival, the Giants invited us out to the Wednesday game to join them at their community clubhouse to do some outreach and push the library card on a attendees who were coming to that wednesday game i can't remember what team played but anyway so we had a really crackerjack team from the main library and the cpp division out there signing people up from for library cards during a game uh, during a day game on wednesday and we got 87 signups that day too and apparently some requests for dates is what i heard but anyway (laughs) so it's been (laughs) you know not (laughs) so uh Anyway, people are excited about the new library card, excited to see us back at the Junior Giants once again, and that concludes my presentation.
6: Thank you, Michelle. Next up, we have Shelly Cocking, our Chief of Collections and Technical Services. That's a actually a wonderful segue, and she's got an exciting report on a new automated book kiosk deployment in Huntersview, which is out in District 10.
14: Yeah, so as Michael said, I'm Shelly Cocking, Chief of Collections and Technical Services, and I'm here to talk to you about the launch of our second SFPL bookstop. And as Michael said, it's out at Huntersview. This is our first um, attempt to put one of these in in a housing um, development. So it's right there. It's dedicated solely to the people who live in the Huntersview community. It's located in their community room. And it was a great partnership. Um, You can see that our partners with the John Stewart company literally did all the heavy lifting um, in the lower right-hand corner. They came out and helped move the kiosk into the building, helped us get it unboxed. It's a 700 pound box. So that's really um, good that we had that partnership there to help us do that. And then we had a lovely um, kiosk um, launch party uh, last Thursday from three to five and I was um, really happy to see all the kids come out we have a preschool right there as well on their campus and the little kids came over and Michael I didn't include any um, um, pictures of him doing the elephant song or doing the reading but he was quite uh, having a grand time um telling stories to the little kids and then they got library cards and were able to check out books we also had a lovely musician out front who would draw people in from the sidewalk as they're walking around the neighborhood like oh what's that music and then they come in they can get some freebies and a couple of um, people were out there giving out library cards we gave out 25 cards on that day and um, then they were sent down to check out the kiosk and get a burrito um, and so everybody was pretty happy with the event And even though it's only been there um, for a week, as of today, we've already seen 20 checkouts. And one of the nicest um, events there for me was talking with the little kids, helping them after they got their cards, trying to use the kiosk. And one of them said, like, oh, you know, I have this homework assignment now. I have to read 20 minutes a night for school. So can I come down here anytime and get books? It's like, yes. Yes, you can. And for them, it means a lot because it's kind of remote and it would be kind of a schlep to go down and um, you know, get the books from the branch. So having it right there for her to usually get was really great. And I have a list of people we have to thank to do this because this is really a whole village. Everybody in the library and at Hunter's View gets involved in this. It was about two years in the making. Um, you probably remember the budget ask a few years ago for this and we um so i want to thank the the team that we have that is running this pilot um uh people from my division who bought all the books and got them ready to put in the nice um kiosk library it who really has to work hard to get it all set up and safe and secure so no one can break into our system our library facilities office who helps um, get it out there as well as making sure it's stable for us and getting us keys The Bayview branch came up and helped with the program, and they're gonna do the weekly deliveries of new books. Public affairs and graphics helped with all the paper collateral, as well as making that really lovely new wrap. You'll notice it's a different color than the one we have on Treasure Island. So that's really great. Betty does a wonderful job. The friends paid for the music and the food. We had a wonderful partnership with the YMCA Huntersview Resident Activity Coordinator. And um, it was really great to be able to launch it with her finally. And, of course, as I mentioned, the John Stewart Company. So I'm happy to um, answer questions at the end of this.
6: Thank you, Shelly. And Shelly should really be applauded uh, for her leadership. It took a village to launch this service, but Shelly excels because of her relationships within the organization, but also her strong project management skills in addition to her just technical confidence as a library administrator so I want to recognize her and it was a lovely event supervisor Walton was there he had some very warm remarks and he challenged us to think about how we can get one of these in all of the public housing sites so that's something that we're thinking about as we start to prepare for the next budget season (laughs) Um, all right. Finally, you may have noticed out on the Fulton Street side of the building, the middle ground exhibit, uh, the bright yellow middle ground exhibit. And as background over the past several months, our assistant chief of the main library, Katrin Rymuller, has been working very hard and working very closely with our partners at the Exploratorium to bring this interactive exhibit back to the main library. So Katrin is here and she's going to be providing this report this evening.
15: Thank you, Michael. Good evening, Commissioners. So as Michael said, I'm Katrin Reimuller. I'm the Assistant Chief of the Main Library, and I'm here to talk about Middle Ground. It's a partnership with the Exploratorium, Urban Alchemy, and the Library. Um, if you might remember, before COVID, Middle Ground we were, was on Larkin Street um, from spring of 2019 to Spring summer of 2019 to spring of 2020, and kind of got closed down early because of COVID. Um, and now we are on Fulton Street, and we've relaunched on Fulton Street. We had a ce- we relaunched in July, but we had a celebration last week on Thursday. It will be up on Fulton Street until spring of 2023. It's got three new additional exhibits. um, And we had some really inspiring speeches and joyful speeches, I must say. Of course, our city librarian, Michael Lambert, spoke. You'll see pictured there at the microphone is Sean Lonnie from the Exploratorium, we also had the Urban Alchemy founder and executive director, Lena Miller, and we had the head of Rack and Park, uh, Phil Ginsburg. So it was a lovely day to just honor the space, honor the Exploratorium and Urban Alchemy being there. Um, and I want to introduce to you Xinyi Chen, who is a senior researcher at the Exploratorium and a co- principal investigator for Middle Ground, and she's going to talk about the science and the funding and things like that behind the exhibit.
16: Hello, commissioners. I am Yi Jian from the Exploratorium. So Middle Ground exhibition is funded by National Science Foundation with a goal of engaging visitors with social science concepts to create insight and self-reflection about social phenomena such as biases, stereotyping, and social connections. And the library, because of the diverse, incredibly diverse audience is served, make it a perfect location for a middle ground exhibition. Here, visitors have a unique opportunity to like experience those social science, social psychological concepts firsthand. So um, ultimately, the goal with Middle Ground is to try to foster compassion, empathy, and social connection through social science exhibition, as well as creating an inclusive environment where people from all walks of life can have an opportunity to engage and to learn, with, learn from science to in, interact with one another. So as Catherine mentioned, during our, uh, we had our 2019 installation. And during that time, we, the exploratory Research Team, has interviewed uh, a bunch of like visitors to Middleground exhibition about their experience and their their learning at Middleground. And we found a wide array of positive outcomes. So um, of only uh, 200 something visitors we interviewed, all of them mentioned they had a positive experience at Middleground and they feel welcome in the space. And when we asked them about like what made it a positive experience for them, many of them mentioned about that middle ground was intellectually engaging and in the design with the bright color, the yellow, as you can see from the photo. Uh, the interactive exhibit and the seating we provided make it this very welcoming, uh, inviting space. And also some of the visitors also commented about the social nature of the experience, like especially the interaction they had with our Urban uh, facilitators. And more importantly, we found compelling evidence about like how Middle Ground was successful at achieving like social connections. 86% of our visitors uh, mentioned that they had experienced feelings of respect. 84% mentioned that they had feelings, uh, emotions about like connection. And 80% mentioned that they had feelings of compassion for people they were different from them during their time at Middleground. So these emotions like respect, connection, and compassion, are so vital, especially in the moment of societal crisis, because they are the uh, key factors They will be able to allow us to build like unity and to transform like urban spaces into convivial community hubs. So based upon this result, we have identified like three pillars about how we can successfully create engaging outdoor learning experiences. And those pillars are... T- Content that is relevant and uh, meaningful to the community and to the context. Facilitation that is is helpful in terms of personalizing the content as well as creating a social experience. And finally, positive placemaking that is achieved by bringing in more engaging users as well as bringing more stewardship to care for a safe, clean, welcoming space. So, our 2023 relaunch is based upon this uh, learning model we have found back in 2019. And we have tried to incorporate some learning and lessons we have gleaned from our initial installation back in 2019. Next page. Thank you. So, our model also shows that uh, placemaking and inquiry is actually synergistic together. So on the one hand, learning is most accessible and most relevant and meaningful if we bring the learning environment, learning experience to outdoor spaces and meet people where they are. However, we also found that like outdoor spaces, sometimes they are not ideal or conducive of learning because like... They lack the comfort, the psychological and physical comforts to engage people. So it takes some space making to try to slow people down, to spark their interest, and to set at home and set the norms that curiosity, social connection, exploration are all welcome or expected in the, in the space. And we also found that, uh, space making cannot occur in isolation. It requires like, uh, active and engaging activities and like someone to really care for, uh, creating a men- and creating and maintaining a safe space in order to achieve successful placemaking. And at middle ground, we have noticed a lot of like success when combining place making and inquiry together. So for example, um, I've witnessed this that a lot of our unhoused guests, they sometimes come to our uh, one of our exhibits called Pay For Cafe to get a cup of free coffee already paid forward by other field visitors just to experience someone's generosity. And then they sit down in a nearby sitting and then just enjoy their cup of coffee. And once they realized that they were welcome and accepted in a space, a lot of them built like greater connection and engagement with the exhibits. Some of them like contributing their life experiences, life stories to one of our exhibits, Unseen Stories, and some of them dance along with other visitors and hands-on music. So those joy like, uh, and particip- uh, their participation really just also help contribute to like setting the tone and sending a message that everybody's welcome in the library, at the library at and, and Middle Ground. So Catherine will be showing us more examples of visitors engagement at Middle Ground.
15: Thank you, Shin Yi. So I have the pleasure of showing you people enjoying and learning from the Middle Ground exhibit and really finding a lot of joy. I wanna point out in the um, upper right, Photograph, that's Robert Dixon. He is the urban alchemy practitioner that has been with Middle Ground since the very beginning. He is an expert explainer, engager, and person that gets people connected, connects with them, connected with each other, and connecting with the exhibits. Um, You can see the do not push button. And I'm going to say that's not only for children. I push it almost every time I go out there. It has a little counter on it. Um, up in the uh, left hand corner, you'll see somebody who is reading prompts. Prompts are given on little pieces of paper and people can fill them out. Here are some prompts that were filled out by people that I saw on the launch day. Uh, because I mix up words, people think I don't speak well, but actually, I have a large vocabulary, but I'm dys- dyslexic. Excuse me. Uh, I know what I'm trying to say Um, in the middle. A recent disagreement I had was about why so many homeless. My stance was the ease of drugs. If I were to argue opposite, I'd say, so what? Cost of housing, mental health issues, lack of health care. And so you can see this gets people thinking about themselves thinking about other people, arguing the other side. And then as a librarian, I definitely like this last one because I express my feelings and emotions. I People think I'm dramatic and loud, but actually I'm just a soft and sensitive soul. And here's one last slide of just showing the joy that people are having um, out at Middle Ground and connecting, families connecting, strangers connecting, having a lot of fun. So um, if you haven't been out there, I highly encourage you to get out there. Um, Middle Ground is there whenever the main library is open. So it's open and staffed by Urban Alchemy, 62 hours each week, seven days a week. And then I do want to thank Sean Lonnie from the Exploratorium, who is not here today because of a family obligation. I want to thank Urban Alchemy. I want to thank the library staff, Michelle Jeffers and the public affairs team, John Kuna and the facilities and engineers team, the security team and the custodial team. And I'd like to announce that um, Middle Ground has been selected by the Public Library Association for us to provide a uh, presentation on Science Museum Public Library Partnerships in the spring. Thank you.
6: Congratulations, Katrin. Thank you for your leadership and to our partners at the Exploratorium. Thank you so much for your partnership This is a smashing success. You know, I I see it all the time serendipitous joy and delight. It's doing precisely what we want it to do. So thank you so much. And that concludes the city librarians report.
1: Um, Thank you very much. And as we've all come to expect, know of so many wonderful things being presented during this part of the um, commission meeting the junior giants the book kiosk middle ground i mean every time you all just knock it out of the park Um, before we come to a discussion and further questions from the commission we're going to open this up for public comment public comment will begin here in correct auditorium and then we'll continue uh, via the zoom platform so Public comment is now open here in correct Auditorium.
17: Hi, my name is Jessica Lipnack. I'm a member of the Friends Board. Um, I have been sitting here thinking about libraries and what libraries have meant to me. And I realized that my oldest experience with a library was in my elementary school where I got my polio shot. And I can remember being in there, what it smelled like, what it felt like to move along. Then, of course, I went to the library in my small hometown in Pennsylvania, and it's just become famous after all these years. First of all, it's famous because of that escaped convict who was out on the loose for two weeks. He was captured in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Home of my hometown library. And also James McBride's book, um, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store, which is soared to the top of the list. And if you haven't read it, you'll understand Pottstown, but more you'll understand what it was like be t- to have an immigrant Jewish community and a great migration Black community living in the same community in the 30s and 40s. And it's just a phenomenal book. I, I read it twice already. So I'm on the board kind of by accident. I've only been in san francisco for five years and i came here because of love um my husband wrote the history of the library. And he was on the board of the library and of friends for many, many years. And Michael was actually one of the first people I met because the first experience I had coming here was going to library laureates. I'll stop talking about myself and say thank you to all of you. Uh, we don't join these things for fame and fortune. We join them because we have these sacred stories about libraries and all of us. I mean, I think if we had a whole commission meeting just about our emotional connection to libraries, it would be a a long, long meeting. I don't have very much time, but I just want to say, I think the Friends has done a phenomenal job. What thing ever, anywhere, ever passed by 83%? the library preservation. But when did that ever happen in the United States? I don't know. And friends really helped with it. Um, We raise money, as you know. Uh, We help with the programs. We're helping with the uh, renovations in Chinatown and the mission. I could go on and on. We collect books to sell. We collected almost 6,000 books last year. It produced $100,000 in revenue. And it prevented 50 500 tons of books going into landfill so we're very proud of the work that we do and we would encourage you to get to know each of us better and i think it would be a good idea if each of the friends board members partnered with one of you so we could keep the conversation going in a more informal way i have exactly 20 seconds left and i just want to say something about book banning there were something like 1,300 movements to ban books. It was up almost 50% from 2021 to 2022. This is an incredibly serious issue, and we all need to be devoted to it. So anyway, thank you for your work. Thank you for letting me speak, and I look forward to
1: getting to know all of you. Thank you very, very much for joining the Friends Board and for coming today to offer your perspectives. Greatly appreciated.
9: That was wonderful. I can't beat that. <laughs> Good evening, commissioners. Michael. Uh, my name is Nellie. I am Nellie Sapinski. I am a San Francisco resident, avid San Francisco Public Library card user. And I am also a nonprofit leader here in San Francisco, serve, um, working and supporting youth, families, primarily in the Mission and Excelsior districts. I am also a Friends Library Board member. And I am here today to, like, you know, many of you share my love for why I'm on the board. I grew up in a public library. Um, My first reading experiences were public library. Book exchanges were in the public library. I don't know what I would have done without public library. So being on the board is such a privilege um, to be the voice, a representative, an advocate for not only the community here in San Francisco, but the kids and the families that I work with on a daily basis. Um, I, I also, too, want to thank you all for your dedication because it's not easy being, uh, you know, doing your job. It's not easy to volunteer our time, um, but we do this because we know we will leave our place or our community in a better place, rather. I wanna share um, some of the wonderful um, areas where friends and library have used private funds for creating beautiful spaces like the ones we just heard about today, Um, the Book Nook, the, um, the Paletero, Bookmobile. I mean, these are all wonderful programs that our communities use across the city providing this equitable access to to books and resources um that i'm always looking for places and you know things for our kids and families to go to to receive the services that they otherwise would not have access to so this accessibility across the city is so critical um i want to share just one accomplishment that we did last year among so many that is Really true and dear to my heart is that the board and the organization um, established a Friends Innovation Fund to target free library resources to the most vulnerable San Franciscans here um, in our city that will continue to live on. And not only will our kids be able to access it, but they will be learning. It will forever be carried with them. And hopefully, they will come back and become commissioners and members of the board to support our community even more so thank you so much
1: thank you very much um any further public comment
3: yes peter warfield executive director library users association library users 2004 at yahoo.com And PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117 0544. That's for folks who prefer the privacy afforded by the post office for getting in touch or communicating as opposed to typical email. Uh, First of all, uh, thank you to the presenters uh, for fascinating and informative uh, presentations. Uh, I'm particularly glad to know that books. Uh, were involved with uh, well most of the activities that were described. Uh, learning perhaps more with the exploratorium. I'm not sure what the tie-in from exploratorium specifically is for books, but certainly uh, whatever people are doing out there, they could certainly be talking about books, getting books by going in, and so on. Uh, I commented on the uh, exploratorium exhibit at a previous meeting and said I liked the look of it but i was a little puzzled by exactly what was going on maybe it hadn't yet been staffed and i was looking longingly at the chairs that were sitting way on top of the uh pillars uh because civic center and other parts of the city are notoriously low on places to sit and it looked promising but inaccessible uh nonetheless the participatory part of the program that I saw there was encouraging and looked very interesting. Uh, I did want to say that I was curious with respect to the uh, Hunter's Hunter's View book kiosk, whether that's available to the general public or whether that's just available to a limited public. Uh, I'm not sure it sounded like it might only be for residents of a particular a housing unit or housing area. I wasn't clear about that. And um, I had one other question. But in any case, one of the things I have seen in kiosks, not this particular one, which I haven't seen, but I have seen kiosks where I'm disappointed that not only, of course, is the book selection far less than even the smallest branch, but more to the point uh, I haven't seen where there's communication at the kiosk about the far about the far greater riches and wonderful things that you can get from an actual visit to a branch or the main library. Uh, and I have not seen that, uh, I'm not sure what these kiosks will offer to the public that comes up to them in the way of showing that there's a great deal more that they can find at the library. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you very much for your comments. Um, any further comment here in Coret Auditorium? Seeing there's no further comment here in Coret, we'll turn to our participants via um, Zoom. Um, Operations, if there's anyone on the in the queue, please put them forward.
2: Madam President, at this time, there are no commenters in the queue. I will pause briefly to allow commenters to raise their hand. Madam President, there are no commenters in the queue at this time.
1: Thank you very much, Operations. Um, given that there's no further public comment request for public comment, public comment on item number four is now um, concluded. And we now turn to commission discussion and questions. And I just want to encourage Michelle, Shelley, and Katrin to be available for any questions from commissioners. Um, so if anyone would like to make public comment or ask questions, uh, go ahead. First of all, I know that
5: all three of you, the uh, librarians um, report was just fabulous. I want to do a, a special shout out to Michelle um, for the ways in which the, um, the junior giants reached such a large geographic area of Northern California, the cities that you mentioned, i.e. the cities of Merced and Galt are areas in which students have significant disparities and they do not have library resources that are anywhere close to the richness of the SFPL. So by having an event like that, that draws all those kids from the Central Valley into, that just tells you the breadth and the depth of our impact, not only to the residents of San Francisco, but to communities and counties throughout Northern California that do not have the public investment. So I just want to thank you for making that happen.
1: Um, Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Lomax-Garaducci. That was a really wonderful comment and um, observation. Um, Commissioner Mall. Uh, That's an excellent point
12: that you made. And on that subject, are the people not residents allowed to get
17: a library card?
6: They are welcome to get a San Francisco public library card because they can continue to dial into the richness of our digital collections, our online resources, the, you know, the e-learning platforms. They just have to be a resident of the state of California. So that is something relatively unique um, to our state. We have reciprocity across county lines.
12: And can they check out books?
6: They can. Uh, If they checked out a physical book, they would just need to return it. So they would have to figure that out.
12: (laughs) That is really fantastic. Um, And Michelle, how did you choose which books to bring to them?
10: Why? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
14: uh, we we actually 5, work, we work with a vendor called children's plus who specializes in children's books and they send us a list and then my staff we're all, we're all former children's librarians basically we work on a, you know picking the ones that they have in stock and then they do a great job boxing them and putting them on pallets and they just arrive and wait for michelle to come get them we don't even have to open the boxes so wow yeah it's really so, like, from what ages to what ages?
12: Oh, we 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 had um, uh, picture books like for little kids
13: and little siblings all the way up to high school chapter books. Wow, so
12: that's yeah. just
13: because we get a big range. You get the kids, I think, are supposed to be like from six to sixteen, but we get we get it at either end, so we make sure we have a lot of choices. And who pays for that?
14: We do. You do <laughs> that, that had one point three million budget line item for giveaways. Wow. That's so impressive. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely.
13: And That's I, so I, will, I will say, Shelley's team did an amazing job. A lot of the books were baseball themed, and
1: the yeah, kids were I really like that. Say I was, I was part of the team that unpacked the books <laughs> this year and um, all the crates and. I was just so amazed by the range, but also the specificity of the day. Um, At every age level, there was something about baseball. And also it was just, and just the team that came together to put all the tables together and make it just accessible and, and make sure that there were signs. It's like, you know, chapter books and different age groups. It was, the team is, the SFPL team is incredible.
8: And they have
1: bilingual books. Yes.
10: Well, and the, like, the junior giants, been around since I was a
14: kid.
16: <laughs> <Okay>.
10: Since <laughs> I was a kid, and that they never had books had it. So <laughs> did they? They baseball played baseball those days. They did back That's in the day. Touche, touche. Yes, they did. They, they, they called it something different,
1: but it was similar to
10: baseball. Uh,
5: stick.
1: stick
10: ball, yeah.
11: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Commissioner Ono. Hi, thank you, um, Michelle, Shelley, Katrina, and, and Chin Lee for your presentation. I really appreciate the Exploratorium really partnering with us to get. <laughs> the middle ground is such a fun experience. I was, you know, when you were talking about what it what it produces, you know, compassion on uh, sharing, I was saying the U.S. Congress really needs to go out there and do oh. that. I'm sorry, I had to do <laughs> that. <Okay. laughs> but thank thank you and your team, uh, the entire Exploratorium for what you guys do. And I remember it from when it was on Larkin Street, yeah. but now it seems like it's in a safer place. Yes. Uh, so I'm not sure if that was intentional or, or not, but, um, and I do not want to sit on the chairs since they are too high. Mm -hmm. thank you very much and also urban alchemy um shelly i wanted to do do ask a question about um the kiosk you had mentioned that there is a preschool that's close by so i'm assuming anyone the public not only just the residents can use that kiosk is that correct or
14: so it's people who can get into it's in the back area so i'm not um i would assume if you came like the the parents who bring their kids to that child care center, their kids will go over there. Some of the kids got cards during the day. So if you're interacting with that, um, Hunter's, it's also very, you know, kind of out there on its own. So there's not a lot of other people who might be walking around unless they have a specific reason.
11: That's if it's in a resident home, I mean, yeah, it should have some security associated. Yes.
14: With it. Yeah. And so it's open just during um, when there's people in the office. Monday through Friday. Yeah. That
11: makes sense. Yeah. And it would be a very huge goal to try to get it into all of the public housing. But I do like at least the thought of that. Yeah. And thank you very much, Shelly. And uh, your selection of the books for Junior Giants was amazing, especially the uh, Spanish language, because a lot of the kids preferred that. So I helped with
14: the baseball ones, but Denise does most of it. And she's because she's bilingual, she picks the Spanish. So
11: well, thank Don't you. Niece,
14: yeah. Yeah.
11: Thank you everyone for such a great program. Thank you.
1: Um thank you. Any further public comment here? I just want to actually, Shelly, can I ask you a question? Sorry. Um I um as some people re- may remember, I was a little skeptical of the kiosks, um, par- partly because of the price tag. And I love that like now we can get like 10 of them for the price of one that. So thank goodness you all found the right solution. <laughs> um but I'm curious how things are going on Treasure Island. And if the statistics or maybe there might be a moment in the next six months after this one um, is up and running to kind of give us a sense of how it's working, the statistics, what you're learning, lessons learned. So that when we are thinking about um, adding to the budget next year, understanding like its impact or what needs to be tweaked in order for it to be the most effective it can be. So, I did check
14: statistics because I thought I might get that question. And um, we're seeing, you know, it's a small cast, it's only 200 bucks. So, there's a limit on how much you can circ. And so, we're seeing anywhere from about 20 to 45 circs a month. Um, so, it's a pretty good circ for that community, which is still really small as well.
1: Um, I'm just wondering whether we might think about better marketing or PR to make sure that people are aware, because especially in Treasure Island, it's very, Divert. I mean, it's just spread out all over the place. But particularly if we're doing within housing um, environments, there usually are listservs or ways in which you can promote it internally. And I'm, it'll be interesting to see how different tactics work. Yeah, so we have worked
14: with the TIDA, which I cannot right now remember what it's is. Treasure Island District. Can you speak Thank you. Thank you. Um, they, and they've emailed people out. Um, we, and I was also I don't know if any of you have ever gone to the Treasure Market the Treasure Island Flea Market before they moved it away we used to be one of my favorite things to bring my young daughter to they do um kids events as well as having like standard flea market stuff there and food trucks and it's coming back um next february so i was talking michelle you don't know this yet but i was like oh we should bring the bookmobile out and do some marketing through that right because the families will come out from that because we would bump into them when we would go to the pumpkin patch or they bring a pile of snow in december they always have some really family-friendly event great during the yes Yeah.
1: I just feel like um, these are really great resources, but they're often kind of tucked away. Yeah. Um, And so how to make sure people know that they are a resource for them.
14: Right. And I also feel with the the island, we have to kind of wait till the construction settles down, because part of it is like even just trying to make your way to the grocery store. I'm sure they all go there and it's right there in the front. So if you shop there, you'll see it. Um, but it's not easy to get around the yeah. island. So when things kind of settle down, and I heard on the news that the the house for the veterans, the, the low-income housing for them just reopened or just opened the new housing. So that's a, a new space that people from the old housing will be moving over to. So it's all kind of coming together finally. So in a couple of years, it should be pretty smooth and maybe we'll have more kiosks.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. great. I um thank yeah. you very much. Sure. Yeah. Um so anyway, I just want to th- it's always a pleasure to be invited to volunteer for events and um I just want to encourage the commissioners to if you can go, I mean the junior giants is really a fantastic feel good event and your one of the other things I loved about the event is that there were all these volunteer staff members who volunteered to work that day. Um, They get paid, so it's not like they're volunteering their time, but they didn't know each other. And so it was really community building for the staff. And I thought that was a really fantastic um, element of the day. Um, So I just want to once again um, thank our presenters, thank um, the Exploratorium for their great partnership and bringing um, a kind of new way of engagement to the library. And fantastic. Thank you. we now move on to our, oh, yes,
8: please. Um, and um, I just want to say that the partnership with the Exploratorium uh, is amazing because, um, you know, not many people can afford going to the Exploratorium or know about it. And this is a, a an incentive, a way to be exposed to what they can do of course if they come to the library and get one of those passes they could go to the exploratory free but many times you know they don't know but um so i want to thank you for that i have not seen it yet um but i now i'm, I'm intrigued <laughs> so and i wouldn't mind climbing down that those to those chairs but i probably wouldn't since <laughs> since i just you know but um thank you because you're doing um, research with an intention and with a benefit to the community and to people. So um, I will go and buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Michelle, I'm sorry, I missed the Giants. I, that was my favorite thing last year, um, but... I know from the faces and people talking about it and the parents and the fact that it's not just the kids playing baseball, but also their siblings, they get so excited. And I always appreciate uh the, the quality of the books and especially I'm an advocate for bilingual education. So uh, that is amazing. I plan to be there next year. Uh, so thank you um and then about the kiosk I I know that I mean uh it took me a while to remember what I wanted to say um it, the what oftentimes people don't realize is that uh parents exactly access that oftentimes parents are working a lot of hours and they you know between picking up their kids at the child center going to the library going doing groceries and taking care of all of that it is not you know like yes libraries are available but and they're accessible but not but is the time and the, the challenges that many of the families especially you know single parents you know like it, working immigrants um So those kiosks and and those specific strategic areas, you know, are very beneficial. Um, It's an exposure, it's, it's access, it's equity. So thank you all for the great job.
1: Okay. Great. Thank you so much for um, making those comments, Commissioner Lopez, and to everybody for their comments today. Um, we're now going to turn to item number five, which is adjournment. And before we um, uh, have commission discussion and action on this item, we open it up to public comment here in Correct. And then we will ask for public comment uh, via the um, Zoom platform. Public comment is now open here in Correct.
3: Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com, and P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and particularly today because of the very active participation of the uh, members of the Commission in asking a whole range of questions, which I thought was terrific in terms of its atypical participatory interest and curiosity uh i've said it before and i'll say it again i think you should not adjourn until you insist that future agendas have within them and typically at the end as you've done before and many other bodies do it now an item for you to suggest future agenda items that you would like to see on. The library's agenda that gives you and all your different perspectives and concerns and interests and intelligence and talents ability to come out and basically contribute to what is being discussed and what's being learned and what you're doing with respect to providing policies for the library uh, there were many uh, issues and questions raised about the uh, human resources update. There were many questions uh, that you raised about uh, the city librarians report and the specific reports that were provided. I would certainly say that I was the recipient of free books and it wasn't discussed here uh, or or of a free book. And that is, I went to a um, also a weekend event and that was the Haight Street Fair. And there was the bookmobile which was nice and there were all kinds of b- bins of books outside and i i had never seen before that there were being uh books being given away at all and um I actually only learned it when i went to the library um what do you call it kiosk and then went back to the book mobile because i there were no big signs about the giveaway or anything like that um so i'd certainly be interested in as some of you were about what's with the giveaways where are they happening and especially since there's a 1.3 million dollar budget item as shelly mentioned i certainly think it would be interesting to know generally what what's going on with respect to those sorts of outreach as well as uh the kiosks and all those other things that the library is doing that's basically new uh and i think that would be a very interesting topic uh the human resources and the giveaways and other programs that the library has to make publicity favorable for the library. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much. Um, We will now turn to public comment via the Zoom platform. Operations, if there's anyone in the queue, please put them forward.
2: Madam President, at this time, there are no callers in the queue.
1: Um, Thank you very much. Given that there are no further requests for comment, public comment is now closed. And I just want to make one quick announcement before we go to adjourn, to vote on adjournment. I just wanted to congratulate my fellow, our fellow commissioner, Jerry Bolander, for the publication of his new book, um, To Ride or Die. And I just wanted to congratulate you on that. Um, Okay, so now we can go on to...
10: <laughs> Tell me
1: you're going to do that. I know. Well, did I need permission? No.
2: <laughs>
1: and I just yeah. want to say it's a page turner. It's really worth it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, so now, um, do we have someone who would like to make a motion to adjourn today's meeting? I'll make the motion to adjourn. Lopez, do we have a second? I'll second. Commissioner Ono, we have um, a motion from Commissioner Lopez and a second from Commissioner Ono to adjourn today's meeting. I'll take the roll call. Commissioners,
0: please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf. Aye. Commissioner Mall. Aye. Commissioner Lomax Ghirarduzzi. Aye. Commissioner Lopez. Aye. Commissioner Bolander.
3: Aye.
1: Motion passes unanimously. The meeting is adjourned. And we will all we will see everybody in October. Enjoy the rest of September as it speeds by.
11: Oh <laughs> wow. Niners. No.